So welcome back to another episode of the Passionate Stewardship Podcast, a podcast for helping professionals who strongly believe in supporting their community and the humans who live there. I am your host, Dr. Sherry. So y'all know we are celebrating the good old Black History Month. And on today's episode, we're going to have a conversation about Black and African American representation and why that is so important in the human services and the social work field. And frankly, sometimes I feel there's not enough Black and African American representation in this work. I'm going to pause here for one quick second because y'all know how on here on the podcast, I am all about transparency. And you've heard me use the following terms, Black and African-American. And, you know, spoiler alert, not every Black person identifies as African-American and not every African-American person identifies as Black. But both terms are acceptable. However, I think it's important that we know that it's okay for a Black person or an African-American person to use either when they are identifying themselves. So here on the podcast, you might hear myself or you might hear a guest say Black. You might hear them say African-American. And guess what? It's quite all right. So when you hear me use either Black or African-American, or if you hear me use them both in the same sentence, that's my business, okay? So according to, I think I pronounce it Zipia, and it's a platform that provides automated career mentorship. They have a database of more than 30 million profiles. And these profiles are of individuals who are looking for careers. It's all, I think it's almost like ZipRecruiter, but it's more professional. So they do a little bit more than just your average, you know, indeed type career, whatever. And they compare their profile data against the Bureau of Labor Statistics and also the Census Bureau data. But so I looked at this data because we're talking about representation in the human services field and also in the social work field. And according to the data, and so y'all know here, I always want to provide the best and the most factual information out there because I don't want nobody, y'all know I say it, coming for me. So always want to make sure that we are providing the best information possible. So did our fact checking, all of the information will be in the show notes. And 83.9% of all licensed social workers are women, while only 16.1% of them are men. That's a big, big difference. The most common ethnicity of licensed social workers is white. And that's 66.9%, followed by Black or African-American at only 15%. So I'm going to say that again. So the most common ethnicity of licensed social workers is white. That's 66.9%, followed by Black or African-American at 15%. 20% of all licensed social workers are of the LGBTQIA plus community. Now, when it comes to human service professionals, 67.5% of all human service workers are women, while 32.5% are men. And the most common ethnicity of human service workers is white at 58.6%, followed by 14.6% for African-American or Black. Like that's a, that's a huge difference for both of the ethnicities and for both of the genders. 13% of all human service professionals also identify part of the LGBTQIA plus community. Like these are huge, huge gaps. And this is why today we are talking about representation, particularly the Black and African-American representation in the human services field and in the social work field. Besides there not being enough Black and African-American representation in the field, there's definitely not enough Black and African-American male representation in the field. So on today's podcast, I have a colleague 
who I have known probably for a couple years now. We met mutually through Reconnect for Resilience, a training that we did. And then he came into the office because he wanted to do some work intimately with the organization and assist and support victims and survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault who were male. And we got to talking and he is a social worker and he is in the trenches every single day doing this work. And I thought he would be an amazing person to have a conversation with about this because one, he is a black man and two, he is, he's in it. And y'all know I'm all about being in it. So I want to welcome to the podcast, Jonathan Brunson. Welcome to the Passionate Stewardship Podcast. Jonathan, how you doing today? I'm well. Uh, I'm very excited. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. So we're just going to get right into it. We're not going to waste no time at all. So Jonathan, how about you give us a little bit of your background and tell our listeners a little bit about you and how you show up for your community? Uh, yeah. Okay. As far as the work itself, hmm, I have been in it since October 05. So you got to help me on the math. So I want to say, what's that, 17, 18 years? So it's, it's funny. I was a uh, undergrad. I did at Eastern State University. I was planning to be a lawyer first. So I did political science. October. I finished in 2005. When I got hired with October 5, that was a, a paraprofessional, which you probably, you know, hearing those pieces, all these P's, right? Like paraprofessional, associate professional, yep. qualified, and now as we are licensed professionals. So, so I've been in the field, yes, yeah, about 17, 18 years all around. Been a therapist six, seven years, but in the trenches, yeah, about 18 years. Okay. Can you speak to why Black and African-American representation matters in the human services field, in the social work field? Like why? And why don't you think there is enough Black representation? Mm, That's the question. Let's talk why it matters. It matters because all of us are biased, right? Regardless of us saying it or not. That is just a fact. We know research-wise or in general, it's a clinical, it's a human fact. We all are biased because bias can be something we do for survival. We might assume, oh, I see somebody big, I'm by myself in an elevator and they got on a big jacket and it's a big male. Uh, I got to hold my pepper spray in my left my left hand. That's bias and be fearful that something can happen, right? So we number one, we're biased all the time. And when we're biased, representation and cultural fluency or being culturally, cultural identity can be eliminated. I, I can parallel that to a quick story, Dr. Sherry. Like when I was at NC State University, and this is going to parallel everybody, I promise. So when I was at NC State, when I, I was noticing that the paper called a technician newspaper is about 30,000 students, right, that I get the paper. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, excited as a student, my first year there, coming from Shaw University, transferring over, shout out Shaw. When I went to state, I was looking at the paper all the time. And, and that's a part of what? Being a sense of belonging. So being a student, right. I was excited about anything I could see. If it's a table and it's a free uh, water bottle, I may want to just talk to somebody and get it. Just your money, your time, being a student. So I noticed it will always be Black males a lot of times on the front of the papers in biased situations. What I mean is like, I still got in my head to this day about handcuffs and crime and all kinds of things. And mm-hmm. when I kept reading the paper, the, the ironic part was that most of these men were not state men. These were like black men in Raleigh. That, that so when you say, I'm sorry, not to cut you off, but when you say not state men, you mean not men that went to the university? Yes, great question. Not like myself, okay. a student. So of course I started... Uh, and I and this is gonna really parallel with your question. I started feeling offended because I'm like, here I am. And I know there's some other guys I see, and at that time it was only 12. percent So we talking about research. It was only 12 percent African American students at state. Last time I checked, last year it was only eight percent. So so I'm like, it's not a lot of us clearly at this university. So I'm like, I felt kind of embarrassed, offended. I'm like, this is this is contradicting. Like 
here I am. I work my butt off to get here. I'm a scholar. I'm here. You're not highlighting us, but you're highlighting Black men in that light. So long story short, I kept keeping up with papers in general. I'm not looking for that, but just read them all the time. It, and I started noticing a common theme and pattern here. So I ended up where it's a part in the paper, you know, that all the papers do it, News and Observer, everybody said, you got comments, send your comment. So I, I, I called myself doing a long two paragraphs, doing a comment, hey, uh, this is going on. I'm offended, blah, blah, give me some facts. Here's a few of the papers citing them. I've seen this. I'm just, as a, as a Black male student, this is offensive. And funny part, I got challenged with that. So what I mean got challenged mm. was I was really writing in an intellectual manner. So the editor sent me an email and was like, oh man, we apologize and saying representation. Like you said, so he was like, Mr. Bronson, I'm going to be honest, we need male writers, African male, male writers. We need diversity. Mm-hmm. This was a white male editor in chief. So he was just really saying, not only are you identifying an issue that may have been biased, but not trying to be, but you're also identifying a need. So then, then I went there, long story short, I started going to a English professor, Dr. Revis at the time, others, they were challenging me. That two paragraphs turned to about three, four pages, right? So ended up the article had a t- the title of Unintended Stereotype of African-American Students. The funny part is Technician Newspaper, which was predominantly white, there was a lot of the staff at the time, clearly, and as well, the main paper at state campus, It they promised to run it in the semester, they never ran it. Here's why representation matters to the point of the parallel. There was another paper called Nubian Message that ended up being the editor-in-chief of. This was a paper started by African-American male students for that same reason. Culturally, we're not feeling that our voice is heard enough by this other paper. We're starting our own paper, which was also housed at North Carolina Central University. That's another story. So I ended up, state didn't run because of the Nubian message, somebody reached out to me, Jerry Blackman at the time. He was an editor. I don't know how he found out. That's some great research, how he even knew about me. But he he ended up saying, hey, we'll run your voice. So my head right down the chair, I'm not, I'm not friends with no guys. I'm just like, this is my voice. I'm not trying to be your buddy. Right. I'm a student. I'm thinking critically. So I'm like, let's run it. I'm like, I'm not trying to think of no competition of pleasing nobody. I'm here to be like right. all of us challenge the system. So he ran it. The other papers, like they got offended. The technician kind of guess it came out. And then long story short, I got hired with both. So I ended up with both working. Oh, that's papers. awesome. And 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 doing that became the editor. But what I learned from that experience is what your question is. Like that's why it's so important because if we don't, cultural identity is not identified. It could be identified from a biased manner. So the white male editor-in-chief, Mr. Ben McNeil at the time, he was being honest, like, okay, I apologize. But even when I went into the office, you know, Dr. Chair, it was like, it was no black male students, writers. So everybody, the, the editors, everybody, white female, white males. So I noticed that it can easily be slanted because it's mm-hmm. only coming from your perspective. And mm-hmm. I think that's what we have to make sure we don't confuse. It's not that we screaming racism as African-Americans are Black all the time. We're looking for, oh, white people is this because we're not doing that. It's being honest on both sides. We can do the same thing. If we just got just us, we may be biased. So it's just showing you got to pull us in. So even with the paper I advocated, ended up uh, able to get an award voted for being literary talent. But I used to wear certain images on purpose because, you know, you could take your own images with shots. Right, so, right. I wear, you know, a headband and I wear a T-shirt and I was doing that on purpose to show it's okay to be a scholar student with style. It's okay to be a Black male student not feeling I have to fit in. So answer your question, representation, it clearly matters because biasness does happen. And that's something we can even have our conversation about, see it all the time. It, it right. does happen. Um, I see it sometimes in meetings, you know, with treatment team meetings where I'll be around because even the office I'm at, you know, where I work, it's, I'm the only male social worker therapist here. So everybody else are women. So when they're doing meetings with families or kids, I notice a good amount of the women do not ask the fathers to be present. And I'm like, wow, hmm, yeah, well, how are you going to do a treatment team meeting? And it's always the mothers. I'm like, you have some good dads there, too. So why not you invite the child's father? I notice how that can be by, you know, like it's like you you automatically assume it's just about the women that you identify with and you don't be inclusive of the uncles or the grandfathers or a true treatment team meeting, right? A true meeting. I'm I'm glad you brought up the maleness of it all because it's not just about Black and African-American representation. 
But a lot of it in this work is about Black and African-American male representation. Historically, a lot of social service organizations and a lot of nonprofit organizations They've been modeled after programming that's for women, and they're not tailored to the needs of men, particularly Black males. Social services is not a one-size-fits-all. What works for a white person is not going to work for a Black or African-American person. It just isn't. Definitely. Representation is one of the most important aspects of, to me, of service provision. Now, what I am not saying is that a white male or a white female service provider cannot adequately service a client that is Black or African American. I'm not saying that. That is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that there are nuances to being a Black beautifully melanated black or african-american person there are experiences Mm -hmm. there are things that come with just being us there are cultural things that that come with just being us that only we can understand that's right that only we understand and a lot of times when you have when you don't have that representation That's the difference between a client coming in and receiving services or not. That's right. That's right. So can you can you speak a little more about specifically about the black and African-American male representation in this work? Or is which one Dr. Share as far as seeing it or far as experience of doing it? It, it? Both as far as how important it is for for male clients to see Black and African-American men being service providers, like showing up for them. Because see, this is the thing. I am so sick and tired. Mm. I mean, this is, I I feel like this is the story of our life, that we are consistently bombarded with these negative stereotypes of our people. And we are consistently bombarded with these versions of us that are not always true. Black men receive social services also. And when Black men come into your Department of Social Services, and when Black men come into your nonprofit organizations to receive services, they should see someone that looks like them. Right. So can you... You had mentioned, you know, the treatment teams and that they're not being a male person present, but I'm sure it's probably also out of the norm for that client to be sitting there and seeing a black male service provider being present also, because we're talking about North Carolina now. Mm-hmm, that's right. That's right. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. So can you speak to that some more? Yes, definitely. I, I, even even personally, you know, like I said, we having a real talk, even interpersonally correlating that. I'm an uncle. I have three nephews, you know, Raekwon, Juwante, Shaw. You know, I have my niece, two rivals. So I have I have them. And growing up, my sister was a single mother a long time. I held all of them as baby boys. And, and their fathers wasn't there like that, honestly. Like, you know, it's a little better now. But even my older nephew in Central now, his his dad, he could count on one thing how much his father been there, which is like one hand, literally. I mean, like that, and he's 21 and he can count in 21 years on one hand. And that says a lot to you about presence with him, which would probably mistakenly in the community pass him by his mom. So you're talking two or three times. Other than that, I have an award here in my office now that's on my left that say greatest dad that he gave me when he was in middle school. Like That's what's and he, up. And he told me that recently, like, Uncle John, like, honestly, my father passed. So he's like, you know, Papa, which is known as Papa. Papa and you are like, always, I tell people my fathers I had, you know, and, and that, that and so that's showing that too about representation, why it matters. But I see it when I'm here now, Dr. Sherry, you get, I get more calls. It's so many calls more now that are intentional, right? So you have East Point, the, the, the management organization that mm-hmm. they say that on the phone. They'll be like, well, this parent is asking for a Black male social worker, a Black male therapist. So there are calls that people are being very upfront culturally about, hey, man, we tried it with women, no offense, but this is a boy. We need, a, are there a male, is there a male there? And now 
that's really a lot of my caseload, probably about 32. And that's really what a lot of my caseload is seeing, like mothers with sons. Uh, grandmother that mom them kind of mm-hmm. had their issues going on. Grandmother that's trying to take care of the son, aunt yep. with son. So like I'm getting those calls, and it show how I just had it yesterday. It's funny you say this. Like uh, it was a female social worker. She tried to see both children, Hispanic, and it was a, a brother and a sister. He made his own advocacy in there. Like, hey, no offense, but is there a male I can talk to? And she had like, not like she was offended, but well, maybe so. You know how we can have that pride and ego a little bit. Mm-hmm. So she she mm-hmm. went to me about it and, oh, he's asking for a male social worker. And it's like, okay, great. Okay, that's great on his behalf. So him and I, we met, we did what we did and I could just see with the connection. So it's, the demand is really becoming very high often. And and let's call it, like I said, let's talk plain about it too. Unfortunately, it's been a lot of bias with this too. Like even in graduate school, a lot of these services would be catering and treated black males. I mean, that's a whole nother subject. Young black men, oh, they're yep. ADHD, oh, they're this. And that's another reason that representation matters because like how many overdiagnosis that's being put out there because you don't culturally relate to this kid. Okay, they may like to rap and dance when they're not with you, but you call them hyperactive because they're right. bored because they're sitting, sitting around all day. So like, you know, right. it's like, it's so many young boys that are getting treated. So it's really a super disservice, as you said, to have them already, that's who they're around. A single mother, uh, my teachers, you know, most of the school system are white female teachers, middle-class teachers. That's research. Yep. Right, so I'm seeing women, my principal, women. You know, I have a Christian school. I saw a young little fella. He's a Caucasian fella, but this dude relate. Single mother. And the Christian school, I'm like, well, where's the male? And it's like, all the teachers are women, you know, and they're like white women, you know, and it's like, then the principal, he's a male, but he he really works with a high school male. So I'm like, this kid go his whole day really with no no win on me you know like and mm-hmm. imagine the black boys the same way get up with mom or grandma my sister's with me i'm doing this the teachers are are this the PE teacher right they might be a male but i'm going my whole day with no men so so right. like you're right that's that's why they have to see it and feel it and relate to it and get that that's into that masculinity touch they have to get that and they, right. they need it right So what do you feel are some of the shared qualities that representation can bring to a client-centered relationship? Mm -hmm. Shared qualities, because I think, you know, cultural competency is so important in nonprofit organizations, you know. So what I'm not saying is that, you know, one of the things that I absolutely despise is when I see white people try to be something that they're not. Mm -hmm. We don't Mm -hmm. need you to try to be what you think your client needs you to be because you are not a black or African-American person. That's a, that's a, that's a real valid point in a, in a feeling perspective. That, that's a serious mm-hmm. point. We don't need you to be that. So hear me, be your authentic self. And if you are not sure how to show up for that black or African-American client, then there is some cultural shift that needs to happen within the organization. So what do you feel are some shared qualities, though, that representation brings within within the organization? Because like we, you know, like we were saying a minute ago, like if some if a client walks into an organization and they see no one that looks like them, like I know right now, I'm going to be 100 percent when I walk in a room and I Mm -hmm. see nobody that looks like me, Mm -hmm. I immediately get I immediately get filled with anxiety. Mm, that's right. And I know I'm not alone. That's I right. And I am in those kinds of rooms more times than I'm not since I've moved to North Carolina. Mm, you, you and I both. I, I know like how that. to hold my own in those rooms because I am confident in who I am. I know that I am an educated woman. I know I come from good people, but... I am in those rooms more times than not opposed to when I was in Washington, D.C. And then it's, I get either the, oh my God, you're so educated. Or Mm -hmm. I get the white woman who automatically wants to start talking to me like she's Jack A. Harry off of 227. (laughs) Like, girl, why are you talking to me like that all of a sudden? 
I'm not talking to you like that. Oh, okay. I'll play along. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so what do you think are some of the shared qualities that, you know, representation can bring? So I walk into your organization and I see, I'm not, I need to see a mix. Mm-hmm. I want to see a pot of gumbo. I want to see a little bit there. I want to see a little bit of shrimp. I want to see some corn. I want to see a little bit of sausage. I want to see a little bit of everything. That's right. Some brisket, whatever. That's you know right. what I'm saying? Right. Oh, you yeah. got brisket. You put brisket in your gumbo? <laughs> <laughs> it should be something for everyone. That's right. Should be. That's I need right. to belong. There should be a sense of belonging. That's what representation is. It's a oh. sense of belonging. Oh, wow. You, we definitely having a good talk. And it's so funny you said this once again, not to get off a tangent. I just finished a proposal with NC State University for the same reasons last night. And that's what state is doing a black symposium for students because they're seeing the same problem from the educational perspective, like lack of faculty that's African-American, lack of students. So a March is doing a conference. And that is the title of my proposal. Sense of belonging. How much do I have to lose of me to gain a degree? That, that's exactly mm. That, that is That's what good I stuff. Just, I just sent that last night about midnight, and I'm excited to see about waiting to hear back. That's the same thing as a social worker that I plan to bring if accepted. The same perspective going through there to get two degrees, political science, African American studies, and going through the same thing. Like I was saying, that a pivotal struggle about. You saying so much. Oh God, just just hearing you now, just even the the share. You said share qualities meaning what do you think? Share quality. Well, yeah. So what are the shared qualities that representation can bring to a client-centered relationship? Okay, so you mean as far as a, a black male that's seeing me? Now, maybe not just a black male. So so both. So let's just mm-hmm. from being a black or African American human service professional or social worker. And from the perspective of a Black or African-American male, like, what do you think are some of those shared qualities that representation brings to a client-centered relationship? Because, you know, in the social work, that's that micro level. That's that one-on-one interaction. So what do you think are some of those shared qualities? Because I think it's powerful on both ends, but I can, I can, I'm getting chill bumps just thinking about it. I can, I can feel and see how powerful it could be for a Black male who is struggling with mental health. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, look, I just, I don't know what to do. I don't know which way to turn. And because of this, these messages that have been embedded into our culture about mental health and seeking therapy, and then come into your organization or come in contact with you, like, what do you think are some of those shared qualities that that kind of representation can bring to that relationship? Well, with client-wise going through similarity, like no matter if it's financial, if it's so-called poverty line or, or in general, it's the, it's the fact of you wake up and no matter, I said this at a presentation that I shared a while back in Asheville, like sadly, no matter how much I do, what degrees I have, even being able to speak at that conference, I was like, I can have a fitted hat on, which I wear a lot. I can have that, drive down the car, and God forbid, I might get racially profiled stopped and something can happen to it. And it's like all of that don't even matter because of the image, Right. So I right. believe that the shared the shared things that we deal with is the sense of feeling like what you do every day is not enough. Right. Resilience, bricks. And it's really the only way I feel like the best way to describe it is like you damned if you do, you damned if you don't. You know, even going to graduate school, it's like when I went there, when I met the only male doctor at the time, Dr. Robinson, who ended up leaving. He the first thing he said at a meeting with him and I sat down and I was excited was. Don't be the angry black man, Jonathan. You know, don't be that. Don't do this. Make that. Which to me was that kind of depressing thing. It's like we can't even shake hands and I just be acknowledged as being a student. I have to be, you feel you have to already be that protector. Like, mm. like I guess the struggles he went through. So it's like right. his, his share of values was, and unfortunately, is what it is. We go through this and we're going to be stereotyped. We're gonna be assumed no matter what happens. And 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 I still remember that too, sharing that. And like you said, what you said earlier about I never forget our classroom where it was two images show. It was an image of uh 
look to be a gay black male talking out of term and a whole classroom exploding laughing. And it was just uh, like a video, like a news video, like showing something that was like idiotic about, you know, how stuff happened in the community with crime and they interview people. We've seen it be another mm-hmm. subject. They seen the interview the ones that's really tore down and they were talking to him. And I just remember looking back and after a while, I'm like, what's funny? This is not really right. funny to me. Like, what's funny about that? And I showed a video on purpose, which is a, a black male rapper, Loaded Lux from Harlem, New York. And he did a whole video about his son. Like he was just shouting out being a better a male for his son, the whole room was quiet. Nobody even commented to uplift that after the video, which was part of one of my presentations. And it was like, to me, that goes to share qualities. It's like, no matter what you do, it's always this feeling of it's not enough. Uh, your education, like you said, we're both educated and we, we resilience trained and masters in so many levels. And it's still, people still want to see you for the stereotype. You know, the yep. image of, I can't, that's another reason that I fight against the grain to be comfortable. I used to, I used to do that. I used to wear the slacks and the pants all the time and a tie, maybe the collar shirt. And I still do the collar shirt. That's okay. But I mean, just dressing up. And then I noticed when I'm working with kids, I feel silly. I feel silly in a, in a front of their house, tossing a football and hot with that on. I feel silly, <laughs> you know, if somebody trying to run with me in a park. So now I'm like, right. I'm comfortable. I'm wearing my Nike shorts. I'm wearing my, Unless I'm doing a meeting, like we both know how to do it, something that I need to show up that way. I'm um, I fit it on every day and it's showing that they relate you that's a sense of shared quality. I am you. I am like you. Right. 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 I'm no I'm no different than you. I just work my butt off with grit just like you can to get things and get it every day. That proposal right. last night, I told you I worked on two nights in a row. Got a shot. That was 1230 the night before. And I finished it last night around by eleven o'clock. Just that's grit. That's grit people don't see. The work that you put in and the effort, no matter what your race is, of course, but that stereotype too, right? That you're, that you're Black, African-American, or you, especially the women. You're African-American woman, you got to be twice as better. You got to be twice yeah. as better. So I believe that's the shared qualities that they see, that they relate They relate with the grit, your dress, being even being, identi- being able to identify artists. You know, my, my nephew, so many people listen to Lil Baby, so many of these rap artists, and it's like, Imagine how much culturally they only get to talk about their music. Yet kids are into music. Right. So it's like I relate with them that way. I'm gonna bring those conversations up. Like, okay, I may say, yo, I may say this, or I may say, well, who's your favorite rapper? Or tell me why. You know, then I may say some names. I see that face light up, like, oh, he know about it. He he he's saying something that relates to me, something that I understand right. versus like feeling like I have to be quiet about these things because right. I have to be this you know, the Western right. cultural approach. Of it, steel it's and so quiet. unfortunate how much mm-hmm. we have to, how much we feel, it not is. how much we have to, but how much we feel from time to time, we have to change who we are for everybody else. Because I, I know when I took the position that I'm in now, you know, the executive director before me, which an amazing woman, but she was pearls and high heels every day and you know I remember when I took that position I came home and I told my husband I'm like I don't know about this one you know I'm the I'm the Chuck Taylor's kind of girl I you know I got my church tuck got my church chucks got my got my going to got my going to work chucks you know I even wore chucks under my wedding dress so You know, like that's not me and that's not how I want to show up for the community. I want to be my authentic self. And I remember when I was, you know, conceptualizing this podcast, like, yes, I am a doctor. However, I'm a person first. I am a Black woman first with Black experiences. I am a person. I don't want to be something that I'm not. That's right. That's right. I don't want to be something that I'm not. And I don't want to be forced to be something that I'm not. From time to time, I cuss a little bit. I am passionate about what I do. I'm not aggressive. I'm passionate about what I do and and how I speak. And, you know, and I don't want that to be misconstrued. And I don't I don't always want to feel like I have to defend my blackness or defend my womanness. Or defend mm, who right. I am because I'm passionate about what I do. And it it becomes exhausting. 
Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I like to describe it the same thing you're saying about this definitely a share value code switch. Oh. Oh, yeah. You, you know, that, that's oh, a my whole, God. That's a whole nother subject, right? And that's, that's a whole that, podcast episode. That, that's a, You know, that's a whole podcast. I know it's something my um, girlfriend was telling me in a car riding in Raleigh one day. She was like, you do a great job being a chameleon. And it's like, it's unfortunately like doing the same you're saying, having to know how to speak one way. When do you do it? How do you do it? I, I want to do it in this room, but I know I have to be representing the shoulders of who I need to help get in this room. So I have mm-hmm. to carry it this way. And, mm-hmm. and it's just like code switching is just, that's tiring. And when you were saying a question about earlier, which I know we was getting to about why it's like a lot of us don't get in this, this field or we do certain things. I hear it in the barbershops. I feel there's a lot of black, that's why the barbershops, right? Black men or men, period. But especially mm-hmm. black men, like, because they don't want to code switch. They feel like I have to do that enough. Like, I'm just tired of, like, feeling allegedly that even though, like you said, you really don't, but but it does take strength and courage, like you and I said. It takes a lot of lot of grit, a lot of persistence. Like, even now, so many parts of me. I'm, like, president of Rocky Mountain Toastmasters Club. So that's, you know, that Toastmasters organization, mainly of older white men with statistics, 50 plus. Like, so it's like, when you're in it, but I know how to do my college shirt. I know how to do this, do this. But I, I know how to speak. Like you, it's like, it's, it is a lot of energy. And then when I, like you said, I go in the parking lot, I play a lot of hip hop music. That's beat, Nas, Jay-Z, <laughs> all this. Like, so I, I play that in a cold way. I don't, I don't never like, when I leave homes or parents, I don't blast it like that. I do it private as I can, right? When I'm really on the freeway or something. But that's your code switch, right? It's like, you always thinking. You always have to overthink my image and how am I doing it and how am I relating and you know that's funny because there have been some kids that are talking to me like Mr. Jonathan you don't like music hip-hop do you I like and I laugh at them so I'm like doing a great job too much to show you how professional I am because mm-hmm. I love hip-hop music I tell you it ain't nothing wrong with it I just don't I'm not gonna give you like, even kids ride with me I have a rule in my car like can you turn the radio up no I'm not because we're gonna learn how to really talk we're gonna learn how Good. to really you know, the music Good. is off. You listen to that when you get home. Let's be and honest. See, and that's part of that representation. It's yes. it's showing that it's one, it's representing the Black and African American race and culture that's and right. ethnicity in a positive way. And it's showing our Black and African American children and teenagers that there is another way of being that you don't always have to sacrifice yourself in the process. So that that's awesome. And, and, you know, communication, because, you know, communication is, that's a universal thing. And I feel like there's not enough with texting and (laughs) Voxer and (laughs) Snapchat and DMs and all this other stuff. I think we've gotten away from just the basic art of communicating. So that's a beautiful thing that you just take intentional time to communicate with the young people. I think that's, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. So what would be your advice for organizations and white human service professionals and social workers that find themselves struggling to work with Black or African-American clients? I'm going to say it quite frank, and I think this comes from Western culture as well. I'm going to really iterate this. It's not, and I say this loud and clear, it's not about you. I say that once again, it's not about you. And I feel that that's what we're taught is what the so-called stereotype is of being professional. We got all these degrees, we have all this education. So it's like, we want to be overwhelming people, right? With it, right? Like we want to feel like we have to always be the ones, we got all the knowledge, we have all of this. So but what, I, what I would say is you have, we have to really meet people where they really are and be, be open to that and then explore your bias. If you can't do it, Maybe you need to talk to your supervisor, talk to a director like yourself, be honest, like, hey, I might not be ready for this caseload. I might not be mm. ready for this. I might need to just sit in on some of these and learn. So I believe like you have to be really honest because that's what I'd be willing to do. Like I, I had played soccer with Hispanic males. I fell in love with soccer with that because of two. 
before that, I never was in the side, but I was willing to do that. I, I learned about guitar, um, country, country music from a young white guy because I, you know, little girl playing, like I, I, I'm willing to really meet kids and clients where they are, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I believe we, we say it right. You know, we, you know, that we all get these degrees, we, we profound it, we claim it, we say it, but honestly we don't do it. And we all, and we all right. have the biases and the stereotypes and we have to explore those stereotypes and those biases, you know, and just really fight to make it about somebody else. Let somebody, if you're saying a question, like you said earlier, I love what you said, the 227 comment. Like, if you're saying, oh, hey, hey, don't say yo to try to fit in. Don't say bro. Right. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Let's, let's call that play. Don't, don't say the stuff. I'm going to tell you something fun I do too, Dr. Shad. This is, this is a real thing too. I flip it. Like when I feel that I get that too, where I feel sometimes, honestly, white professionals or others may see me and they they feel like they're trying to overdo it. Like, yo, what's up, bro? Or this and that. I would intentionally be professional because I feel <laughs> like it's so private for me that you you and I that much not close that I'm gonna give you what you asked me for. I'm gonna give you, hey, and I have the hey how, in front of one on one office. I did it. Hey, how you doing? Yes, uh, good afternoon. You need help, sir? What you need? I'm not giving you what you have. I'm not giving you no right. talk, no hip-hop talk. I'm not giving you what my friends get, my brothers get. I'm giving you the opposite because you, you're doing it from a fake perspective, like a stereotype. So I'm going to give you the other stereotype that you need to hear. Hey, I'm a professional here, too. You know, I know how to be. I got this not handed to me. So I think that's what we have to really do as well, like explore our biases, work with people, and we make it about them, be willing to go down that lane a little bit, right? Like, go if they're into this, like, they may want to write a poem. I have young guys all the time, write a poem, do a rap for me. I have a kid that's autistic. I went to his birthday party earlier. He he would do a lot of music. And and I tell him, send it to me on YouTube. Or we'll do walks in the neighborhood, and I let him play his song. And I really listen, you know, because I'm showing him, like, oh, it wow, you're talented. It is about you. I'm not going to dish your song or dish you that's disrespectful i'm gonna let you be you and express and and that's how these relationships have that's how the party invite have grandma like he don't never ask anybody because he he told me to text you and ask you i said sure i'm gonna stop by i will like it's, it's bonding you know you have to do that and that's what i would say okay so what do you do for self-care because this uh, is hard work and i think for and and this is not to minimize that human services work, social services work, social work is not hard for all people, all professionals who do social services work, human That's services right. work, and social work. It, it's hard for all of us. Yes, I think sometimes for Black and African Americans, we have a double layer because we have the pressures of the work then we are up against all and facing all of the racial and social injustice that goes on in the world that we have to face on a daily basis. And Mm. being the mother of a Black son and a lover of a Black man, and I have a Black brother and Black friends who are men, it's been hard as hell Mm. these past Yes. couple years mm-hmm. trying to show up in a space where not a lot of people look like me mm-hmm. and I'm Reach living that. in a I'm living in an area where I ain't, ain't too pleased I'm here or I'm working in a space where I ain't too happy I'm here mm-hmm. um and still having to show up and do the work. And it's Mm. been really, really hard. So self-care for me has been really, really important. And I just want to, I'm sorry, I just want to commend you real quick. I just want to say that to you. I'm proud of you. And that's something we don't get enough. I really am. Not because we up here here to fake it, right? I really want to say that. I'm really proud of you. And that's one thing I talk to. Like, we got to celebrate more. And I celebrate you. Honor that. I yes. appreciate that, Jonathan. So, what do you do for self care? Uh, I'm 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 growing into this, like you, <laughs> a lot, a lot, and uh, I'm I'm doing a better job of 
staycations where, you know, I go to somewhere like Raleigh, which don't have to be so far away and just mm -hmm. two days, Friday and a Saturday, once a month to try to honor that, for example, or trying my best to do nothing as much as I can, just about okay. nature walks or doing whatever. Also, time with nephews and family for me, prayer, meditation, yeah, the exercise, music, writing, reading, really trying to do a lot, a lot more just reading things I'm into. I'm also a big, you know, I read it about uh, about the seven types of rest. And that's a great YouTube, too. I don't know if you've seen that. That, that is an excellent one. But one it said was intellectual fun. And that was kind of unique. So I do a lot of intellectual fun. Like, I'm a nerd at heart. So, like, I, I love to be in a bookstore, like Barnes & Noble's on a Sunday. And okay. I don't, know, I don't know how to describe it for me. It's really... It's common for my nervous system. It really is. When I'm around books, okay. I'm in that environment a lot. I sit and just pick up books or magazines and just read, take notes. I don't know, just the vibe, the energy, the calmness of everybody in there, the quietness. Okay. Is, I, I do a lot of time I can in the bookstore and learn and doing that. Okay. So on the Passionate Stewardship Podcast, books are our love language and we are always <laughs> throwing out some good old books. So what's the last book you've read? Spotlight. Uh, oh my goodness. A great, great call out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm feeling with self care. I'm feeling guilty because I have some amazing stuff, too much great stuff. I just got loaded up that I, ha I have. Uh, I've been back in 48 Laws of Power. I'm on that a okay. lot. Uh, okay. Discipline is your destiny, is what I want to say is one. David and Goliath, which is, I think, Malcolm Glad Gladwell. So I have several. You know, I have some okay. urban books. So, like, I have to be learning that too with the discipline to just stop and do one at a time. Okay. So it, it just, it just, well, mainly I'm going to just keep on up 48 Laws of Power. So 48 Laws of Power is really one that I stay on consistent with audio. I'm listening to every day. So like that, that book is a heavy book, which is actually dealing with how we have to learn how to conduct ourselves as well. And which is another okay. thing. So I will, I will spotlight 48 Laws. Okay. So if anyone wants to get in touch with you, first of all, I want to thank you for today because this has been an amazing conversation. And thank you. do you promise you. you promise to come back on the podcast another time? Oh, oh most definitely. Most definitely. Okay, we'll good. We'll good. So if anybody wants to get in touch with you, how can they get in touch with you? All right. So get in contact with me, my government name on Facebook right now, Jonathan. <laughs> Not the government name. <laughs> the government name, right? You know, Jonathan Bronson. J-O-H-N-A-T-H-N Bronson, B-R-U-N-S-O-N, Facebook, literally with that. I'm also the founder of, which I want to promote my organization, Unafraid to Be Gifted. With that organization, it is for what we talk about, being unafraid to stand out, as well as mental health. I'm pushing okay. mental health apparel, therapy is dope. We all have issues like hoodies, clothing that can be supported, which I'm using for as a scholarship fund too, at my old high school. And that's utbg.tv. And the goal of that is going to be a media platform, what we're doing now, like more commercials, infomercials. So people can literally not only support, like, like you know, as far as want to get a shirt or, or items, but you can also, like, send a comment. You can comment and send me something there. And finally, Instagram. Instagram, as we talked about, the Dope Fitted Therapist is the plan for the platform to reach me out there. I love hats and fitted hats and snapbacks. So yeah, every time you see Jonathan, he got a fitted on every time. <laughs> and it's always matching the outfit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, trying to trying to coordinate. Yes, yes, yes. Like I said, yes. So you are something. Yes. So that is a plan for that. So the Dope Fitted Therapist platform is the plan to reach, you know, definitely reach me there to, to hit me on Instagram. That's it for now with those. Okay. Well, Jonathan, I appreciate you so much for appreciate all you your wisdom. I appreciate for what I appreciate you for what you do for the community, Thank what you. you do for your clients. And it was really, really good getting to know more of your backstory today and just how you represent the culture. And I look forward to our continued friendship. Definitely. So do I. I appreciate you so much the same. Thank you so much for thinking of me and let me be a part with you. This week's exceptional African-American social service provider, Lester Blackwell Granger, 1897 to 1976, introduced civil rights as a national and international issue to the social work agenda. 
He focused his attention and advocacy energy with the goal of equal opportunities and justice for all people of color. Even while focusing on the conditions of Black people in the United States, he led the integration of Black workers in defense industries and in the beginnings of his integration in the military services during World War II. After graduating college, his career in social work began as an extension worker. He also was secretary of the Negro Welfare of Welfare Council of New York City. He joined the National Urban League Workers Educational Section and served as assistant executive secretary and later as the executive director. Mr. Granger was a member of the President's Committee on Equal Opportunity in the Armed Forces and Federal Advocacy Council on Employment Security, serving one time as its chairman. He was a special consultant to Navy Secretaries James F. Forstall and Charles S. Thomas and was instrumental in the Navy's post-World War II integration program and helped solve problems that stemmed from the Navy's abolishing segregation. For these contributions, he was awarded the Navy Medal for Distinguished Service and the President's Medal for Merit. He was the first Black person to serve as President of the National Conference of Social Work and the International Conference for Social Work. He also had been Vice President of the American Association of Social Workers, Honorary President of the National Council on Social Welfare, and a member of the Board of Directors of the Council on Social Work Education. He was the president of one of the seven organizations that merged to form the NASW. Today and every day, the Passionate Stewardship honors our ancestor, Lester Blackwell Granger, for everything he has done to ensure that we can exist in a world and serve our communities. The Passionate Stewardship Podcast would like to thank Jonathan Bronson for his wisdom and for today's conversation. And remember, self-care is health care and kindness is free. So be kind to somebody today. I love you for listening. And until next time, be good to yourself and to others. Bye. Thank you.